0: Welcome to Event Experience by Bizabo, the podcast where we bring the best and brightest event experience leaders together to share stories, tips, and lessons learned from creating some of the world's biggest events. I'm Javiva Gordon-Bennett, Senior Editorial Content Manager here at Bizabo. This week we're having a conversation with Candina Weston and Liz Lathan about creating experiential moments that matter. Candina is the General Manager, APAC Strategy, and Chief Strategy Officer at Microsoft. Liz is the co-founder and CMO of Hout Companies. In this episode, Candina and Liz will be talking about how to build intention into every stage of the attendee journey. They'll share digital and event design strategies to help you grow your audience and enhance the experience from beginning to end. This conversation was just one of many we held as part of Visibo's Event Experience Summit, our flagship event, where we brought the world's most innovative event professionals together to share their secrets and strategies. If you want to check out our most recent event experience summit, we'll drop the link in the show notes so you can explore other sessions on demand. Ready? Let's dive in. Here's Candina and Liz.
1: All right. Well, welcome, welcome. We are so excited to have you all here. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to all of you joining us for creating experiential moments that matter in the attendee journey. Today, we're going to talk about making each mile of the journey meaningful before, during, and after your event, but we're not talking logistics or spontaneous flash mobs. This is a business and marketing conversation about connecting your audience in a meaningful way that drives measurable results. I'm Liz Lathan, co-founder and CMO of Hot Companies, which is a collection of B2C and B2B brands, which includes a creative and experiential agency called Hot. And I'm joined by Candina Weston, general manager of APAC Business Strategy and chief strategy officer at Microsoft. Welcome, Candina.
2: Thank you very much, Liz. And thank you, everybody, for joining.
1: It's great to be here with you. We are so excited to have you here, but before we get into our conversation, I want to point out that you can submit questions through the Ask the Speaker channel on the right side of your screen. You can use the chat to contribute to the conversation, of course. And yes, this session is being recorded for future use to share with your colleagues. Well, I am so excited to talk to you today because I think we share a passion for ensuring that events digital and in-person are viewed as full funnel marketing programs in a larger demand-gen strategy. And I understand in your last role, you led the digitization of one of Microsoft's largest lead gen engines. Tell me a little bit about that.
2: Yeah, so I wanted to start by saying I'm not traditionally an event marketer or an event organizer. So I come from marketing, sales, um, change management, strategy um, side of the business. And I actually moved over to um, experiential marketing at Microsoft in Seattle a few years ago because we were looking at building an experiential marketing engine. And so I was looking at building out the demand generation process, the monetization, so how we bring partners into the the events and how we think about digitizing that process. And then COVID hit and it became 100% digital. So our engine then became you know, a project on steroids, which um, would have originally taken a couple of years to do, and we kind of condensed it down to a couple of months. And so this is where we really, um, we really started looking at the overall journey and to end the different engines and to end how we think about data and um, how we leverage that data to inform what we're doing um, for all of our our audiences um, across the company, actually, because this engine touches all those audiences. So I'll stop there for a moment, Liz, and let you continue your train of thought.
1: Well, I'm excited to dig in, but I think that as we're going to talk about experiential moments, first, I'd really love for you to define what experiential means to you.
2: So I think from my perspective, it's a broad term, and I think it's merging more and more with other engines. And so I think, um, you know, there are multiple different um, ways of, of thinking about it, but the way I would think about it is... An experience is now no longer like a moment in time. It's a series of moments. Um, and the, the great thing about data and the different engines that we have is you can connect those moments um, across multiple mechanisms and across multiple moments throughout a year. And you can tailor that to your target audiences depending on the interests and the feedback that you're getting. I love that. Yeah. And I would agree. And I, I feel like an event is something you go to. An experience
1: is something you're kind of actively a part of. Yeah. So exactly. with that in mind, let's take it to before you even start planning your program, what data do you look at to help inform that attendee experience? I think we have a question that's along those same lines. This The question is, this year we're planning our flagship event in person after two years of her- hosting it but virtually, and we want to make sure we blow it out of the water for everyone attending. So now what do they need to look at to, to plan that?
2: Yeah, so I think um, like if The first thing I would say is I know everybody collects an element of data, and so um, I think what we would do do from a Microsoft perspective across the board is we would collect data from a number of different sources. And so it's not just what the event data tells you. So, you know, we have particular event metrics that um, we would track. Some of them are different digitally and in person, but there are a lot of experience metrics that we can bring into the, the equation. Um, And then what we would look at is what is the behaviour of people both in the event and then what is the behaviour of people before the event and also after the event. And so what we would look at is who are we targeting to start with, what do they care about based on the data that we have, where are they going to consume content even prior to the event before they get there, what content do they care about and how do we create an engine for them to educate them on the process, um, even before they get to the event. Um, And so that could be um, sending different uh, pieces of information to them based on the data that they care about as well. And then when they get to the event experience, then the event itself, um, we've leveraged some of the data that we've already captured from them um, in this feedback process in order to inform the content that we'll be sharing beyond the priorities that we wanna share. Um, we've got feedback from them um, like we, st- we started doing um, user-generated content as well um, in the lead-up to the event, and so we start to bring audiences into that event and we can get feedback from them in that process as well. And then the important thing is the journey doesn't end within the event itself. The, the, the journey continues, and that's the whole point of the engine at the end of the day because most companies are here to make, um, make uh, a profit and to drive, you know, engagement with customers. Um, And so that process is a great way of helping that funnel um, instead of disconnecting from it. So the more that you can understand how people are going through that funnel, leveraging that data, what they care about, and keep informing that experience and keep bringing them through that experience, the more relevant the event is going to be.
1: I love that. What I really loved about what you said is you're talking about data and looking at how people are behaving. <clears throat> but if you've never done this event before, it's a new program or an event you're doing two years after having to do it very differently, you can still collect data through crowdsourcing, asking questions, user-generated content. Mm-hmm. You can understand how they're feeling. You don't have to use last year's information. And honestly, yeah. this year, I would expect that last year's information is going to be useless to you anyway. It's really just starting that data collection before you're starting the creation of the program, not necessarily everything historical you've ever had.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think some of the benchmarking is helpful and also some of the um, types of content, um, the, the way that people have been consuming content, the way they've been engaging with social as well. So we brought social into our event process very heavily. And so we would engage real time during the event. We would bring it into the event process. We would Allow people to make comments and and show those during the event process. and so we we continue that conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think some of those principles still hold. How do you bring audience particip- participation in? And I would wonder, like the other consideration is what the digital process has done is it's created the ability to outreach into audiences that you would have never outreached to previously. and especially, global audiences, um, audiences that have more difficulty accessing um, a physical event or there's restrictions in terms of um, financial capabilities or, you know, there's a bunch of different um, pieces that the digital experience brought to the table that didn't exist previously. And so if there is a physical experience, how is that also being created in a way that allows a really great digital experience. And so the way that the event is then set up is set up to optimize for a digital audience and a physical audience. So it would be interesting from a targeting perspective and a funnel perspective versus an experience perspective, what you'd actually be looking at doing by only hosting an in person.
1: Well, let's talk about the audience acquisition. So our first touch point. Yeah this early stage in the event experience, you're most often just using digital tactics. So how do you make that experiential and bring people along on that journey?
2: Yeah, so what we found is it's very different the way that you do outreach for a physical process versus a a digital process. And I think um, in a physical context, especially if you're buying tickets and paying money and, and that sort of thing, you're kind of locked in and you need to schedule things and so from a physical perspective you need to have a heads up further in advance to facilitate that but what we found is the more in advance that we scheduled and did a digital push the more drop off we had yeah so um, we had an optimal window of time um, that we would schedule a physical versus a digital I think the physical this could have adjusted but the last um the last one was about six months That we'd start giving heads up to the targeted audience that you want physically. So that's like a really important um, point because the people that you would want to target physically in person, they would be different to potentially to who you would be you would be targeting digitally. And so, and then we would turn on a process um, about two months before from a digital construct to try and bring. you know a number of different audiences into that process, and that would be a very um, regular and informed engagement process leveraging data. And so and what I mean by that is we would use all of the different engines, email, social um, influencers, you know, any like a, there's a bunch of different engines that we were using. all of those things are tagged. Um, and you can then, determine what's working and what's not what content's working and what's not based on some of the analytics that you can get through those engines and then you inform how we would adjust our content every week and sometimes daily especially on social in order to make sure that that engagement the data that we're getting from that engagement we would then adjust that to you know to what the audience was behaving and we we would have this in a what we call a power bi form so it's basically we collect all the data into this form and we look at all of these different engines on a daily basis. And we're just adjusting this as we go into the event process. And then we do the same during the event, like we're just on the dashboard, watching it and adjusting uh, and post event as well.
1: I'm interested in the chat if you all, this this six month and two months, I know that personally I've seen this crunch a little bit more. So marketing the event six months out has not even been possible because the uncertainty of will it even happen? So the beginning marketing journey that I've seen in the last, I guess, in our six months has been you really start three months out. But we're not seeing people register like for a physical event until two to three weeks out wreaking havoc Mm -hmm. on all your hotel contracts digitally, we're definitely, I still think you're right in the two month mark for digital, but when people register that far out, they're the ones that a trip, right? That we never see. And the ones yeah. that are only a week out, they're the ones that are there in it to win it. So in the chat, are you seeing something physical? Are you seeing those same things for physical versus
2: digital? I think it depends on the target audience for physical. So if we're looking at like sea levels and more executive audiences, then you need a a longer window. If you want international audiences coming in, um, you need a a longer window for that as well. If you want a primary local audience in your target, then you don't need to as much. So it really comes like the way I look at everything is from a global lens. And then I look at different levels of target audiences within an organization. Yeah. Oh, I'm the ticketing curve yeah. now. I totally feel that.
1: <laughs> Sorry, what's that? <laughs> Ariana says the ticketing curve is nail biting now.
2: We yes, all- yes, I could imagine yeah. mentioned. Yeah, I could have mentioned because it's like people are worried that they're not quite sure what, what's going to happen. And that's sort of what well, sure. we always get yeah. with the executive dashboard.
1: And how are we doing? And where do we need to turn on account based marketing? And where do we need to put more into digital? Where do we need to give the partners more enablement so that they can bring more people? And the timing of that yeah. I know is a a giant giant hairball right now. <laughs> well, so speaking yeah. of that, do you use digital account-based marketing tactics in your audience acquisition or are those more yeah. personal?
2: Oh yes, definitely. So, again it comes down to um, again it comes down to audiences. So, we have a like we have within Microsoft we'll have a B2B and a B2C engine um, or a, you know, a, a targeting engine that that we can leverage to to go direct to individuals. And so Within the account-based marketing engine, we will leverage those four particular roles that we're looking at within certain accounts. but we will also do um, we will also do direct to audience marketing um, and so it's like a combination of both essentially so. Okay.
1: So, well, let's go during the event. So while it's happening, I know one of the incredible things that we've all experienced during the pandemic was the just insane amount of digital data we're able to get. We can see where people move their mouse and we can see how long they listen to our session and all the things. Now, as we move back to in-person, obviously we'll still get all that from our hybrid, our digital folks, is the in-person events data changing? Are you feeling like the exec team wants to see the same type of data that they were seeing digitally?
2: Um, everybody wants to see the same stuff. <laughs> I mean, you would see digitally, but I think this is like the next shift to work out, to be honest, because it's like, we, we now have a, we've now been spoiled by data in the digital process. And right. so this is, yeah, this is like the next big thing to, to make, to make sure that we're kind of getting right. And so it is a process, um, because, I think what happens, and this is just being super honest, it's like when, and and we see that as well with companies and digital transformation and other things, when, um, you know, there's a cycle that, you know, you have to go through and um, you stay relevant and, and that sort of thing, something like the pandemic just significantly accelerated that and, you know, people are getting two years' worth of digital transformation done in like two months or, right. you know, the we, demand the, the is crazy for it, right? Yeah. And so now, like if we go back to an in-person context, I mean, it's not like there is a burning platform urgency like there was previously, but I think what we now have is a precedent which is like a push to get to that same level that we were previously. So I think it's still an open question Mm -hmm. how we're going to um, kind of solve that and there's people working on it and, you know, we will eventually get there. And that's fair.
1: That's fair. We're all learning something new with this whole journey. Uh, I know that one of the priorities you had early on was prioritizing a smaller carbon footprint when producing events. How is that looking to you going forward?
2: Yeah, so that that was a really big deal. Um so we've committed to be carbon uh negative by 2030. And what that means is um basically Removing or um, taking away all of the emissions that we have created since 1975 when the company was established. And so we make some pretty hardline business decisions, even sometimes at the expense of revenue, to be honest, um, in order to ensure that we are moving forward and we're meeting those goals because um, it's such an important um problem to solve essentially and so we really want to be thought leaders there and so when we went through um like even prior to um the pandemic a lot of we're working with a lot of our suppliers to ensure that we were we were removing as much of the you know the carbon footprint as we possibly could in terms of all of the different um aspects of the supply around the event so everything we were kind of starting to track and we were um working with all of our suppliers in order to do that and so that was something that had already started um when the pandemic hit obviously that was like a you know there was a massive um reduction in general um just because of the fact that we weren't flying and the fact that um you know we weren't leveraging um spaces air conditioning other things but i think now that um we're in a and and also like during the digital process one thing that we did and this is interesting because whenever we do kind of workshops internally and we say what can we do to reduce the carbon fr- footprint any ideas everybody always goes to events and they always go to swag mm-hmm. and so and it's really interesting um because i'm seeing it now even when we're coming back everyone's like let's get all the t-shirts and those photos look great like two years ago and are yeah, like with nfts
1: or digital swag
2: yeah. Yeah. So basically we, um, so we actually made a commitment to not do swag. Um, we basically said we won't do it. We did digital swag. We're looking at bringing in a Microsoft
1: t-shirt during one of the trade shows you went to keep it. It will be worth something one day.
2: <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. I mean, someone could contradict me, but <laughs> basically I'm like, no, no, I'm not going to sign off on this budget. So someone else might be signing off on that budget now, but I think at the time basically that, and I wouldn't, I mean, I think we'll continue that commitment, but definitely digital swag, NFTs. And what that did was um, that was amazing to use on social and other things as well. So I know people can take photos of their swag, their swag, but they can also do cool stuff with digital I swag. I mean, I'll and admit, I, it, South awesome. by Southwest,
1: there were a lot of NFT drops around and it was really fun to go and, yeah. and be part of that experience. Yeah. You own something, you don't just have something that's gonna sit in a drawer. It's now something that truly could potentially grow value.
2: Yeah, but I think that's a yeah. I think that's a really important one. So please, please don't go back to old habits because we really need to. <laughs> we need to. I this to
1: out. We talk about, um, I've been reading more and more about Web three and blockchain and NFTs, and they're not exactly oh yeah. carbon neutral. They're a little scary.
2: Yeah, no, I think I mean all of it comes down to, and I, and I think this is another area as well. Like if you look at the um, overall kind of you know value chain. Like you need to address every single part of it, right? And so one of the parts of it is the data center and what the data center actually um, you know how how polluting is the data center. And so, for example, we have a particular standard when we are building data centers, and it has to comply with all of these different standards. And we literally we will not go into a you know a country situation or whatever where we can't be in a clean data centre a lot of the time. We make like really hard line calls on that sort of stuff. And so, yeah, and so, and, you know, we're working with companies in terms of leveraging biofuel and, you know, it's like all of these different aspects. So when you start looking at these processes, the more and more people that we have pushing on the use of, you know, the clean aspects of the value chain, the more likely, you know, we will solve these things. It's not, you know, so we're trying to be kind of leaders with others in that. But that's a that's a big thing. If everybody can get on that bandwagon, that would be super helpful for the world.
1: There's one interesting <laughs> comment. In that, why is swag the scapegoat when we're putting carpet that's used one? <laughs>
2: I know well it's everything no it's true like swag always gets a bad rap right because it's so obvious to everyone but it's true it's like some of the other things that we we were looking at is when we're building out the and this was again before COVID when we're building out fixtures and other things how how can we produce those in a way that we can reuse them versus chucking them out so that's been a big part of the process as well. So you're right, whoever was writing that in the chat, absolutely fair. And that's definitely a big deal. Um that would I know that we partner partner all with, of these things.
1: Yeah. When I was at Dell when we did our big shows, we would partner with Habitat for Humanity and give that donated carpet yes. to them so that they could use it in houses. It was not smart of us the one year we did like pink carpet and black carpet. Like,
2: was not easily that. Yeah, but definitely like all of these things. Like, and it's really about a choice, right? Like you can make a choice on all of these things, a conscious choice. Yeah. It's more if you're not Paying attention and you're not making a choice, that's when, you know, you end up in this situation.
1: So let's move to post-event. As the business person on the marketing team, how did you make sure that monetization was prioritized and successful? Because that's the part where at the very end you're like, oh, it'll just come from the marketing budget.
2: (laughs) Yeah. So we yeah. So we have so there's two parts of post-event. One was like, how do you so as part of the funnel process, all of our data and the tagging and the leads and, you know, all of that gets fed into one system, which then gets fed into all other marketing systems. So, you know, that's a a connected data process. On the monetization side of things, so, um, you know, previously I think it was pretty similar to everybody where it's like there's a COGS plus blah and, you know, everyone's, you know, working on that model. And then when we went into the um, digital situation, it, w- it really became like a media-based model. Right. And so what I mean by that is um, like based on the value of your audience and the value of the assets that you have digitally, it becomes more like a, you know, I don't want to call it ad sales because that's the wrong way of looking at it, but it becomes more of a media um, media buy type right. model. And so we remodeled all of our um, packages and that sort of thing based on that. Um mm-hmm. Did you, did you find on, that you're more freely giving or requiring double
1: opt down or whatever to give actual customer data from your events to those partners, or is it giving them did. access to an audience you already have?
2: Yeah. So we gave within like obviously privacy, um, you know, requirements, um, making sure that was all above board. We, we gave the partners the same kind of views that we would have in our own dashboard. So um they were able to tag their own kind of assets and we were able to track those assets as well through the process. And so ideally, um, you know, what we would want in an ideal marketing process is that every single asset associated with the promotion or the journey around the event was tracked in this data system. And we were able to then process that and and enable um, the partners to leverage that data. So that was, I mean, that was, also important for them because they were able to understand um, a lot more. There was a, there was a interesting kind of transition between what is a, a lead and what is like the media value within, you know, a traditional marketing construct. So um, that was an interesting kind of transition. And the other transition that we, we made was the content side of things, Um was way more integrated into the actual event experience, like the main event experience than it was previously. Because otherwise it's very obviously too kind of salesy. And and so our partners did a great job. A lot of our partners did a great job making amazingly authentic content to bring into the event experience, which is very relevant to the customers. And it took a few goes, like the first go, it wasn't ideal, but like over you know the couple of goes, it was beautiful. Like a lot of the ratings that we're getting from partners were higher than some of our kind of our own sessions.
1: That's so we did a a research study last year to determine what we call a new business metric called return on emotion. And it was, you know, ROI. ROI. So if you're creating these experiences, from the moment you get the invitation to the event all the way through to the end, we found that there are five emotions you must evoke in order to create a business ready environment. So to drive pipeline and revenue. And they are yeah. hope, adventure, acceptance, wow. active, and motivation. And actually, if you put them in order, it's ham with three A's. So if you can have a program with these things, you've created that connected environment where people were able to feel out of their comfort zone, to feel hopeful for a better, better tomorrow, to feel motivated to put it into action, to feel accepted, like they're here in the right audience. Just saying hi to people when they join, you know, making them yeah. know that they're here. And then of course the activity part is how do you get people active? Even if it's just in chat, can you make them be a part of this? And I think that your program's using the data analysis, you're making sure that you're hitting your target audiences and you're getting them
2: exactly what they need. Oh yeah, And and the emotion was really important. Like you can't just have dry content. Like people wanna have fun, like we're humans, right? So we would have like dancing and joking and there were lots of pets in like a lot of the social posts and it's like you know we're humans let's just be human and that you know especially in a in a moment where people are looking for connection and that should continue you know like it's really important to do that i love that now here's my big question we talk about data every
1: session you guys are all going to listen to and go to today are going to talk about data i'm curious who on your team is actually looking at the data What are the executives looking at versus campaign managers versus event managers? Do you have separate dashboards for all those? Tell me all the things.
2: No, so we have um, one dashboard per event, but the dashboard has like, and we can have a few views, but we normally create one dashboard per event. And then that dashboard will track all of the audience. Uh, experience metrics, it'll uh, it'll track the demand gen metrics. We have a separate one for the partners because of the confidentiality of the data. Um, so we have a, a, a dashboard and everybody is looking at that dashboard. At the beginning of COVID, not everybody was looking at that dashboard, but by the end, everybody was looking at the dashboard. So, because it became such, data became such a big deal um, in a way it hadn't before. And then we have a, like we funnel it through to what we call a global demand center. And so our global demand center handles all data for the, the company from a customer um, experience and um, marketing perspective. And that's where all of the account-based marketing and all of the different um, targeting and any anything that we would then pull back out into our other campaigns, would go into that system. And so that system can then collate a number of different experiences through from one customer and they can see how a customer is engaging with different content or what types of content or what combination of things will uh, be more interesting of a customer yeah buyer's so so journey and what attracted that. exactly them. okay and so we can do correlation analysis and then we can just pull whatever view makes sense for whatever executive is looking at you know it's like choose your own adventure according to you know what's required
1: yeah, that's incredible. Um, I, Joseph has a great question. Have examples of experiential metrics been discussed, but I feel like we might be nearing the end of our session time. So I'm worried we're not going to get to all this, um, but let's okay. ask that question real quick. Do you have any experiential metrics other than now we're using return on emotion as experiential, and it's a measurable metric. If you've got this blueprint, you can actually measure how they feel on those five emotion scales. And 8.6, we did a research study. If you had a, on a scale of one to 10, hopeless to hopeful, act passive to active, et cetera. 8.6 was the tipping point of you've created an environment where business readiness and ROI is going to thrive. Do you have any metrics for experiential?
2: Yeah. So we have a, um, for experiential, um, we actually have what we call a marketing engagement index. And that inv- that involves not just experiential. So within the experiential um, side of things there are certain metrics that we would leverage in terms of um, uh, satisfaction and other things but what we do is we don't look at that individually we look at it in the MEI or marketing experiential index metrics that includes other engagements beyond the event because we're more interested in the combination of engagement than just the event itself and so that's what most of our teams focus on, knowing, especially in a marketing construct, that no, no one thing will be the thing that really pushes somebody over into the sales environment. Like it is such a combination of things. And so the way that we look at that data is as such. So I love it. Yeah. We need a whole new session on that. <laughs> <laughs> I know. And, we, and I would bring in some friends on that one. So yeah.
1: That's amazing. Candina, this was so much fun. I had a great time talking to you. I think thank that our you, time is team. up. So thank you all so much for joining us. This Thanks
2: was a so amazing much. and a blast. And we'll see you next time. Thanks for the great question. Thanks so much. <laughs> Thanks, everybody.
0: Thanks again to Candina and Liz for joining us on Event Experience. And thank you for listening. If you're enjoying the show, we would love to hear it. Connect with us on social media and subscribe, rate, and review us wherever you're listening right now. And don't forget to share the show with your colleagues and friends. We'd really appreciate it. You can find transcripts of each episode as well as key takeaways at Visibo.com slash podcasts. On behalf of the team, thank you. We can't wait to gather again soon for a new episode of Event Experience.